And then after about eight months of, of my first year of, of residency called intern year, I, I resigned and I went to work for Dr. Oz. And it was such a good decision for me. I, I felt a huge weight was lifted off my shoulders. I didn't feel at all like a failure. I felt I'd given it the best that I could give. I just didn't want to do it. A lot of people, I think, see things through because they see, they think that they're a failure if they don't make it to the very end of whatever it is. But I don't think that's true. I think you can you can change tracks and, and, and feel really good about it. From the cubicle to the lab, the studio to the war room, climbing up the corporate ladder or joining a scrappy startup, experience a day in the life of the jobs you want. This is the Experience a Day in the Life podcast. We interview professionals, entrepreneurs, and recent grads about what a day is actually like on the job, hour by hour, or as we like to call it, they're a diddle. Spell A-D-I-T-L, which stands for a day in the life. This podcast will inspire you to gain experience beyond the classroom and launch a career of your own. We're your hosts, Chris DeBeau and Matt Poe. Welcome to part two in the two-part Pivot and Practice series. In part one, we went through hour by hour, a day in Dr. Tom Flaherty's life as a medical director at BioDigital. In this episode, though, we'll take you through Dr. Flaherty's career journey so you know what skills and experience are necessary to land a job as a medical director at a biomedical tech company. Dr. Flaherty graduated medical school with the intention of going to residency and working as a family medicine doctor, but had a change of heart and pivoted to a career in producing and then biomedical technology. Let's learn why and how he did it so you can too. So the age-old question, what did you want to be when you were growing up? Oh, that's such a good question. I think at one point I wanted to be an actor. And then I, don't, I have no idea why. I think, I think no, I really like Top Gun. And <laughs> I thought Tom Cruise was really awesome in it before he became a complete psycho. And then I really didn't want to be a doctor until I got to... I think university, actually. So it was, I wasn't one of those people that's like, I'm always going to be a doctor, you know, from a very young age. Tom moved to Hong Kong from England when he was just 11 months old. And when he turned 11 years old, he went to boarding school in England. So there was a lot of flying back and forth from Europe to Asia as a kid. He told us being a third culture kid helped him learn how to make friends quickly and experience other cultures and groups of people. Yeah, I, th- I think I'm really lucky and I encourage anyone if they get the chance to live abroad to do it. That said, I feel, I don't know, I'm, I'm not sure where my exact home is now. I, I live in New York and I love it. My parents live in Hong Kong and I, I, I do feel a little bit more at home there, but I, I feel like this is becoming more and more my home, you know. The education system is a little different in the UK. So students take the GCSE state examinations at 15 in the subjects of their choice to qualify for the two-year university preparatory courses. From there, they take AS exams and A-level exams to get into university for a specific track. Tom did better in the humanities subjects than he did in the science subjects, so he played his strengths and studied humanities, geology, history, and religious studies. And then when I got to university, I was doing history and didn't particularly like the university. This was at Edinburgh. I thought the subject was okay, but I wasn't really passionate about it. And I was a little disappointed that I'd missed the the sort of track to go to med school. Because in England, if you want to go to med school, you there's certain ways of doing it, but you pretty much have to decide when you're about 13 or 14 because you take the sciences for your GCSEs, the full sciences. So I'd missed that and I was a, bit, a little bit annoyed by that. But Lo and behold, I ended up transferring out to the States 
I had heard of Ivy League universities and I knew that they were that they were relatively decent. They were like the the Oxbridge. We say Oxbridge, which stands for Oxford and Cambridge. Oxbridge. <laughs> the Oxbridge of of the USA. So I'd heard of Ivy League schools and a friend of mine from Hong Kong went to Brown. And I also knew a few Americans who came on this trip that I went to in France to look after sick people in a place called Lourdes, which is where I actually first started thinking about medicine because I was working with sick people in a hospital. And I got in touch with them when I was thinking about transferring. I thought, when I was at Edinburgh, one of my teaching assistants was from Canada. And I said, I'm really not enjoying it here. I want to go forge a new path. I, I, don't, I want to get out of the UK. I've been in the UK for eight years. The weather here is terrible. And and she said, well, what about going to school in North America? And I thought, well, this is well, probably a good idea. And I looked into it and I thought, okay, I'll apply to all the Ivy Leagues and I'll apply to... Uh, a few other schools like Stanford and and all of these big names, which I think I was definitely these were all reaches. And I, but I but I thought you know nothing ventured, nothing gained. And I encourage everyone just to apply. It doesn't matter if you think it's a reach or if you don't think you can get in. If you don't apply, you won't get in. So just so give it a go. And I ended up because I was applying as a transfer, and I there were a few deadlines that I that I didn't that I'd missed, and so I hadn't taken the SAT. So it was cut down to Brown, Columbia. No, sorry, Brown, Cornell, Dartmouth, Yale, and Chicago. And then I got rejected by Yale and Dartmouth. And then I had to choose between Brown, uh, Cornell, and Chicago. And I got in touch with my American friends and I said, which one would you go to? And they all said, go to Brown. They said, it's the most fun school in the world. You know, it's it's consistently ranked like happiest, you know, college kids uh, across the country. And I just, I just, took, I just had a really good feeling about it. Didn't even look round and just accepted that, you know. And I also coincidentally had got into the university that I really wanted to get into in the UK, which I hadn't got into the year before. So it was kind of a big decision. I had that, and I knew that, and I, you know, I we, we have a place in London, and so I thought that would have been like a safe bet for me. But I thought no, I want to forge my own path, and I ended up saying yes to Brown, and it was the best decision I've ever made. So Tom is in the United States, living it up at Brown University. He was playing rugby, studying religious studies, and thinking of switching to a pre-med track when he met someone who was telling him about an interesting program that she herself applied to. And then we got talking, and it was one of those classic college conversations, like, what's your major, all that kind of stuff. And I said I was doing religious studies, but I was thinking of doing pre-med because of the reasons that I've explained to you guys. And she said, well, that's interesting. I've just applied to this program called the Mount Sinai Humanities and Medicine Program. And it relieves you of most of the pre-med classes. So I would definitely think about applying to this. You just have to be a humanities major. And I was like, great, I ticked that box. I'm a religious studies major. And I said, I have to get your number. So I took her number and put it into my phone and quite quickly completely forgot that I had taken her number. And it wasn't until a few days later when I was looking up someone else's number that I found hers and I wrote Lucy Schultz in Mount Sinai and I thought I've got to get in touch with her. So I called her up and we had another quick chat and then I looked up the program and I ended up applying to the Mount Sinai Humanities and Medicine program. And I very luckily got an interview and very luckily got in. And then as a junior, I'd got into medical school. So it was nice knowing that I'd got in contingent upon passing one semester of chemistry and one semester of biology and then doing a course at Mount Sinai which is two weeks physics six weeks organic chemistry I did it over the summer after I graduated from Brown so 2008 is when I did it yeah my first kind of experience in New York uh, which was great and exciting so it's now called the FlexMed program correct right? it's slightly different but it, it I encourage everyone to look at the FlexMed program I, I think there are a lot of people who really enjoy the humanities 
and don't want to sacrifice doing the humanities for doing a pre-med course. And it enables people who love the humanities to also go to medical school. And you know, I think that, that straight scientists make great doctors, but I also think that people who study the humanities make fantastic doctors too. And I don't know who's better with people, whether one group is better than the other group, but it's nice to have a door that's open to people that enjoy the humanities. So I think that's why they, that's why they did it. it. It brings diversity to your medical school class, for sure. I wouldn't have gone to medical school if I hadn't got into the Mount Sinai Humanities and Medicine program. I guarantee you I wouldn't have gone to med school. Graduation rolled around and Tom was given the option to take a gap year in between university and med school. So he took advantage of that and taught in Latin America to learn Spanish. The reason he did this was because a lot of the patients at Mount Sinai are Spanish only speaking and he didn't want to have to rely on a translator. Something to think about for you pre-med majors. I highly recommend if you have the opportunity to uh, to take a year off. I think it, you can really grow in that year, even if you're not necessarily studying or doing a proper job. I certainly wasn't doing either of those. I mean, I was studying Spanish, but it wasn't in a university. It was with a, initially with a family and then one-on-one classes, five hours a day. It was, it was kind of, it was, it was another baptism of fire. It was very difficult at the beginning. So um, you're at Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York. What was that transition like after your gap year? It was one of the hardest transitions <laughs> that I've ever had because you know, I hadn't even studied properly for a year. I, I, I studied as hard as I could for, for Spanish, but that was, I, I did a lot of, you know, conversational stuff with people. So it wasn't so much, so many books and it wasn't so many lectures and it wasn't such a huge volume of information. So I think medical school is hard for many reasons, but the two main reasons is it's just volume. So just so much information and then the difficulty of the subject matter as well. It's not super straightforward. And... I hadn't done a proper pre-med track like most people had. And I really did feel like a fish out of water at the beginning. Straight off the bat, I failed my first two classes. I failed molecules and cells, so biochem, and I failed embryology. And I was like, well, why? Like, I, I can't keep up with these people. They're all so intelligent. What am I doing here? Uh, but I, I carried on and I passed every single other class. And then I took the summer to retake those. And by the end of it, I felt, okay, I actually do deserve to be here. I do feel like, I did feel like I had this imposter syndrome at the beginning where I was thinking, gosh, everyone's so intelligent and they've all worked really hard and, you know, I don't feel as smart as them and and I didn't do pre-med. Uh, but by the end of it, if you can get through to the end of at least the first year and pass, I, pass, I thought to myself, look, I passed everything that everyone else has passed. Now I deserve to be here. And then, you know, I went through the rest of my med school and passed everything else and, and it felt felt really good. Fast forward to between his third and fourth year at medical school, and Tom gets an email from the producers at the Dr. Oz show about being a medical researcher. The job, making sure the content was both entertaining and medically accurate. And I thought, yeah, I definitely would love to do this. You know, I, need, I want a bit of a break from med school. I didn't really like medical school. I'm not, some people do, some people don't. It's okay if you don't like it. It's, a, it's still good to, I think, complete it. And, and it's, sometimes it's just a means to an end. You've got to get through it. But I definitely wanted to take this opportunity and I applied. It was, a, it was an application. I remember it was, I think, a, a cover letter. So you say why you want to do the job. And then they asked uh, me to do some research on... Uh, a substance called resveratrol, which is an antioxidant found in things like red wine. It's found in 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 the in in grape skin, in red grape skin, and 
some people believe that resveratrol is the reason why in France they have this thing called the French paradox, which is they eat relatively unhealthy, they can eat relatively unhealthy food. I don't want to offend the whole of France. Uh, you know, food's high in saturated fats like cheese and so on, and they drink a lot of, you know, wine, and uh, but they actually have lower heart um, disease, heart rate disease. But anyway, that was one of the things we had to do research on this, on, on resveratrol. So send that application in and then interview, which involved an interview with the head of the medical unit and then the, in fact, an interview, a group interview with Dr. Oz himself, uh, which I forget what he asked me. I think he said, what specialty do you want to go into? And I think at the time it was, I wanted to be a pediatrician. Uh, and, and and then, yeah, I got the you know, got the okay from them, which was great. But then I said to them, I'm really sorry, I can't do it because of my visa. And I said, I'll, I'll be in touch next year. And they kindly took me back. I was on a student visa and you can't work on a student visa. So I had to wait until I graduated and then got the relevant, it's called optional practical training and was able to work through that. So I waited and then I didn't apply to residency. And then I worked for him for a year in the medical research department and uh, with the intention of applying to residency at the end of that year. Got it. And most students will go right from med school to residency. Yes, the okay. vast majority. I kind of want to talk about your decision of choosing this medical researcher role over going into residency. What was it that tipped the scale? Was it just a new opportunity that you didn't think you could pass up? Well, I, I thought it would be great to do, and then I thought I was going to go to residency anyway so I could do both I could I could do both it wasn't um, either or so and I thought when am I going to get the opportunity to work on a TV show ever again and I also really enjoyed doing stuff as I said I was I did a radio show as an undergraduate and then at, when I was at Mount Sinai I had a little kids TV show in the children's hospital which was called Hands on Science and my co-host and I we would teach science topics like gravity weight and mass and it would be top gun themed and we get dressed up as maverick and goose and it was great and I, I you know i love that kind of stuff so while he was at dr oz dr flaherty was tapped to produce a segment so now he went from being the fact checker to the fun maker and fact checker what are some techniques that you use to to kind of speak medical terms in an entertaining fashion so in terms of making it entertaining so you've got to make everything on tv visually really arresting so there's lots of ways you can do that you can make animations of things so we had a whole uh outside company that made animations for us now it should obviously be 3d and interactive and people should use biodigital but we used a different company in that and they say so you can see inside the human body you can use props so for example my first segment was on temporomandibular joint disorder which is if you like feel the back of your jaw where it opens and closes, that's your TMJ, your temporomandibular joint. It's one of the strongest joints in the body. You can actually suspend yourself via your jaw. And I got this guy from Cirque du Soleil, who has the strongest jaw in the world, to come down to the Dr. Oz show and pull a, a smart car, I think, across the stage with his jaw. And so, you know, that's a way of making things entertaining, but also it brings home an actual teaching point that the jaw is really strong and you can clench down on it and it can be the cause of a hidden cause of headaches for example so entertaining but also relevant and people are more likely to remember that as well so there's props there's animations there's different guests that you can have on the show there's oh you know artwork there's you name it the they had it so from that they were like blown away at that segment and then you were offered the full-time full-time gig yeah I was very lucky I got this segment and I feel as though 
there were a few things that I did in that segment that they liked, and then they then they asked me to to produce a few more segments, and then at the end of the year they said we'd like to take you on as a full time producer, and it was a very tough decision because you know, I had this opportunity to work at this daytime TV show as a producer. And it takes like 10 years to become a producer from, you know, starting out, maybe, maybe a little bit less, but it takes a long time. And I was going to go straight in there. And at the same time, I had done all of this studying, which was so much hard work to become a doctor. So it was a difficult decision. I spoke to Dr. Oz and he said, you may not get the opportunity to work at a successful daytime TV show like this ever again in your life, but you can do residency whenever you want. I thought that's actually quite a good point. And then I spoke to my parents and they said, Tom, definitely go and do residency. (laughs) (laughs) Do not listen to Dr. Oz. And I turned Dr. Oz down. I I thought, you know, you've got to do residency. If you've done med school, at least try residency. Look, I I don't have any disrespect for people that don't. If they go into other industries, that's fine. But I thought to myself, I've got to try this and see what it's like. And I did try and I didn't enjoy it. Not many people enjoy residency. I think you've got to be a bit of a masochist to enjoy residency. It's very... It's very, very, the hours are long. It's a high stress environment. You're learning a lot. You're being pulled in all directions. And, you know, doctors are absolute angels, doctors and nurses and social workers and healthcare professionals. They are just angels. I, the, the amount that they go through, I just have so much unbelievable respect for them. And uh, I really didn't enjoy it. I, I didn't enjoy it mainly because I was doing family medicine and I didn't like family medicine itself i think family medicine doctors are just the best doctors ever because they have to do so much and they're seeing these patients who are so ill and have so many different illnesses the problem that i saw was that the patients often weren't getting better they were just continuing with their diseases and they were being given medications and they didn't get better they just continued or got or got worse which is with these chronic illnesses unfortunately is how it goes and it's not the fault of the doctors it's not necessarily the fault of the patients it's just what was happening and there there is there are solutions to this it's a very very complicated topic but i didn't want to be uh frustrated for the rest of my career by by doing that and so i realized that about six months in i thought i don't actually want to do this like there are some things that are worth worth struggling for if at the end you're doing what you want to do uh, but it was about, yeah, about a few months in that I thought, I don't want to be an attending. Like, I've seen what the attendings do. I don't want to do that. And I got back in touch with Dr. Oz at about six months in. And he, and he said, are you sure you want to come back? When I said, I really want to come back. He said, are you sure? He said, maybe do a couple, a few more months. It was a big decision. I said, I know it's a big decision. So I did a few more months. And then after about eight months of of my first year of of residency called intern year, I I resigned and I went to work for Dr. Oz. And it was such a good decision for me i i felt a huge weight was lifted off my shoulders i didn't feel at all like a failure i felt i'd given it the best that i could give i just didn't want to do it a lot of people i think see things through because they see they think that they're a failure if they don't make it to the very end of whatever it is but i don't think that's true i think you can you can change tracks and 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 feel really good about it i certainly did i feel no I didn't feel like a failure. I didn't feel any guilt. I didn't feel any remorse. Someone just, someone else took my, I gave someone a spot in residency. Uh, So I felt, I felt like it was, it was a fantastic decision. When you did make that switch back to Dr. Oz, is that the final like closing door on residency? There's no turning back, like no other program would take you from there. Or was there always a door or a path back if you so chose? I am not sure if a residency program would take me at this point. I think that in order for me to go and do residency, 
I would want to do like maybe a year of shadowing someone for for like for for a year study study my brains out for a for step three which is the final board exam and then I would feel comfortable going into an interview to a residency residency program and say look I've taken step three this is the school that I got on step three I've done a year of shadowing you know I'm ready so it would be whether I felt confident and then it's up to them whether they want to even interview me let alone give me a place in their residency program. Dr. Flaherty was working at the Dr. Oz show as a medical producer, which involved coming up with ideas, writing the script, booking the experts, writing the animations, getting props, and making graphics with the help of APs and PAs. You're a bit like a quarterback in that you are the person that's right in the middle calling all the plays to make sure that the show runs smoothly. And then while you were there, you won two Emmys for your work there. (laughs) That is true. And I, 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 I was very lucky. It was one of those things where we all produce segments and all of those segments make up the the show. There was 175 shows a season. And then the way that the Emmys is organized is that a particular show is submitted to the Emmy panel, I guess. And they decide from that, which is the best informative daytime TV show. And the Dr. Oz show won that in 2017, 2016, 2017, and 2017 to 2018. And as a producer on the show, I was given an Emmy for both of those years, which is great. So, you know, it's something that I never thought that I would win. And I never had it as a goal in my life to win an Emmy, let alone two Emmys. But it really did vindicate my decision to to go to uh, into production I felt very very good about that but I, I would actually genuinely say I'm much much prouder of finishing medical school and getting a medical degree than I was ever of getting an Emmy it, you do have to really work hard to get an Emmy you can't just sit back and chill out and there way you got an Emmy but I, I really think that the medical school thing for me was a lot more challenging and I felt really really proud to get the medical degree and then I just thought that the Emmys were a nice little bonus I really like how you said that that's that's uh puts in perspective you know I really think yeah. it I really think it does and I I, I think that I, I, I really think that so many medical professionals like unsung heroes we have the all of the the golden globes just happened and we have all of these you know events where people are you know actors are glorified and they get given these awards made of gold and, and all this stuff but there are so many medical professionals out there who don't get given awards for anything and they never go on tv but they're just incredible people so I, I think that there's a little mismatch in society and I think that it would be nice if they had like the medical awards and people like <laughs> watch that. Right. But, uh, but that's just the way it is these days. So. I want to talk about the transition from Dr. Oz to your current role now. What's that story that made you leave Dr. Oz? So Dr. Oz was, was great and I learned a huge amount when I was there. I realized probably about a year into producing, I'd felt pretty comfortable doing it and it was very very difficult to get to the next level there you go from it goes from production assistant to well intern then production assistant then associate producer then producer then supervising producer then senior supervising producer then executive producer or co-executive producer then executive producer (laughs) and dr oz Oz. (laughs) he's technically i think an executive producer so it was very difficult. It was, took a long time and a lot of effort to get from producer to the next step, supervising producer. And 
I didn't want, I'd learned so much. I didn't want to stay that much longer. I didn't want to work in daytime TV for the rest of my life. And it was just by luck that I was in a supermarket in Costa Rica in the summer of maybe 2016, 2016, that there was this nice lady in front of me in the checkout uh, uh, checkout line and her kids were running around the supermarket. And I said something like, you've got really, her kids look really sweet. And I said, you've got really sweet kids. Turned out they actually weren't her kids. They were her friend's kids. But <laughs> regardless, we got chatting and she's a great lady. Um, name's Alison Qualter-Burner. And long story short, her brother is the co-founder of the company that I now work for. I met Alison's husband when we, were, when we were out in Costa Rica and her kids. And we're now really good friends. And she invited me to a, to a Christmas party in, or a New Year's party in January of 2017. And that's where I met her brother. And he, they were looking for a medical director. And he was interested in my background. In I used to write the medical animations for the Dr. Oz show. And I'm a doctor, so... It was sort of a perfect fit. And the office just happened to be two blocks away from where I live. So they asked me if they wanted, if I wanted to come around. I said, sure, I'd love to see the company. And I went to Biodigital and I, I just loved the people. There was the initial thing. I thought these are awesome people. They're smart, they're motivated, they're kind, which is a huge thing. I think working with kind people is a really, 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 I think, underestimated um, often kind, very caring people. And I really liked the product. I really liked what they were making. And they kept on inviting me back. And I kind of understood at this point that they were trying to give me a job. And I thought, this is great. What an opportunity. I didn't even have to look for a job. I just fell into it. And I like it. So a bit of negotiating. And then I, and then I took the job. That wraps up part two in the Pivot and Practice series. Huge thanks to Dr. Tom Flaherty for sharing his wisdom throughout this experience, A Day in the Life series. If you haven't already, be sure to listen to part one in this series to experience a day in the life of a medical director at BioDigital. So they say you can't get a job without experience, but need experience to get the job. But luckily, we have quite the experience. You can join our team and experience a day in the life of the jobs you want by applying to be a student editor. Regardless of your major or amount of experience, this is the perfect stepping stone into any internship or career. Find more info and sign up at xadiddle.com slash students. That's xadiddle.com slash students. Thanks for listening. Head over to xadiddle.com. That's xaditl.com. There you can find the show notes for this series and more A Day in the Life articles. And you can get to know us and our guests more by joining our communities on social media. Follow at xadiddle on Instagram and on LinkedIn by searching for Krista Bow and Matt with one T. If you learned something in this episode, please take some time to help our mission by leaving a positive rating and review of the show. Each week, we bring you a new interview series with guests from different jobs and different industries. In each series, we'll live a specific day in the life, hour by hour, and experience their career journey. So don't forget to subscribe.